Fed can just print more money out of thin air, but the government's always going to be in debt to the Fed. Always. and gentlemen welcome back to another episode of dangerous world podcast here coming at you recording early in the morning drinking some coffee because a couple episodes fell through this week unfortunately tried to record this earlier this week and my dogs just weren't having it and uh yesterday yesterday being what is the date what is the date uh 12 15 I was trying to get together with uh, Mikey from uh, Mikey J. He goes by from KGUP. Um, we had some kind of time issue. I could have swore he said 4:30 my time. Must have meant 4:30 his time. All good. It happens, but it sucks. We were going to talk about um, what was it? CIA influence and infiltration in media and things like that. I got some really good information together. I know he's releasing an episode on that. I'll probably release one too. I have a really good uh, site that just lists a ton of the connections between the CIA and media throughout. Uh, really, I mean, it kind of seems to start in the early 1900s. You can call it right around the 30s. But this episode is not about that. This is about the uh, you know infamous Calhoun Mouse Utopia experiment. He ran several of these experiments and going to be focusing on 25, uh, Universe 25. So... I have a lot of stuff on that, and I'm basing a lot of my episode here on this paper that he did called Death Squared, and it was sort of talking about his thoughts on the Mouse Utopia experiment. Um, you hear a lot of nonsense when it comes to this. It's uh, not really his conclusion that you hear a lot. You hear the liberal media and academia kind of putting their own thoughts into this. And so I wanted to get it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And uh, I found some very interesting stuff, and it's just fascinating. I'd actually known about this. My cousin, uh, younger cousin, posted something about this on her Instagram. And she kind of got lit up by her friends because it, it talks about literally, you know, female mice acting like male mice, male mice acting like female mice, not caring about young and all this stuff. And she was saying that this is kind of what our society is like today, and a lot of people agree, but younger folks uh, see it as a population problem in this instance, more so than a societal problem, a social decline. Um, it's it's He has a term for it, actually, and it's on Wikipedia, and I should know this off the top of my head. Um, and this is John Calhoun, by the way. Um, another thing about it... Uh, behavioral sync is what he refers to it as. So behavioral sync doesn't have anything to do with overpopulation, it seems. And uh, according to his own words, he doesn't seem to feel that. He feels like he gave these mice ample room, and I tend to agree. And um, there's different outcomes in these different societies, but 25 is the most you know influential 
study out of all of these. So going to focus on that. And uh, shout out to Rich from Denver. You might hear him on the cunt episodes. He's been leaving a lot of voice memos over there. He uh, sent me an episode of the Health Ranger Report or the Situation Update, whatever it's called, uh, with Mike Adams, a show that I don't really listen to anymore. I think that uh, Adams pushes a lot of fear porn and it benefits his businesses. But at the same time, that's kind of what a lot of people do. Uh, I don't have anything against the guy personally, obviously. It's just uh, not my cup of tea anymore. Uh, Once he was wrong about everything with the Trump uh, re-election in 2020 uh, and very Q-ish, I kind of fell out of it. But uh, at the beginning of this episode that Rich sent me, it was talking about how the Civil War is going to start in Arizona. And that's something very interesting to me. Because not only do I live here, but I've been saying that Arizona is very significant to the elite in some way. Obviously, every state has a purpose, but Arizona, even in the name and the abbreviation AZ, Alpha Omega, I say this all the time, it's an interesting spot. And you see a lot of predictive programming with that dumb show, Last Man on Earth, and he's living in my city, Tucson, right? Uh, Tucson, not really known for anything, but, you know, it's in one of these massive shows that's like on a on a big network and whatnot but at the end of that civil war episode he goes for about 25 minutes or so on this experiment and it totally reminded me of it and so it's funny that wasn't even what rich was trying to show me in that episode um and that episode by the way was great so shout out to uh the show that i don't like but uh very very interesting stuff and he kind of just does a quick run through uh on what's going on in this experiment and a lot of people have done that And I wanted to do a deeper dive and, like I said, get some information specifically from Calhoun in his paper that he wrote here. Um, Truly interesting stuff. So if you're not familiar with the experiment, there's four phases, phase A through D. And he um, started out doing this experiment in the woods. Uh, Sounds like behind a friend's house. And, I mean, just imagine walking up on this. You're taking a nice hike in the woods and you just see a rat village. It's uh, freaky stuff, but he starts off with this 25 divided up into 16 sections, and I'm not going to give you the exact like specs of the universe here, but 16 sections uh, divided up equally. There's some tubing that goes to uh, off the ground areas around the perimeter for these these rats to access what he calls apartments. And there's multiple apartments in each unit, four feeders, uh, four uh, apartments. They're like eight inches by five inches by four inches, if I'm not mistaken. And um, you get water, you get unlimited water, unlimited resource and plenty of room. And people were saying that this was, again, due to overcrowding. But you can see that hardly any babies are born in at least a quarter of these units, meaning that you know, the, the rats, they tend to live on top of each other. They live very in close proximity. He said that 15 rats could live in, and I need to call them mice. I call them rats because they look like the, the lab rat, but they're bulb sea strain mice, okay? Albino, uh, you know, the, the typical lab rat, but he refers to them as mice, so I guess I should too. Um, you're having up to 50 pups be born in single units again four units in each of these 16 sections and then others are having like less than five so that's not an overpopulation issue and you can see based off of status how this goes 
uh, the one at the bottom left, if you're looking at it in the way that he has it displayed in a graphic here, and I'll share all these pictures, it has 111 pups being born in one, and then the one at the direct opposite corner. Uh, so if you're viewing it as a country, the northeast has only 13 pups be born. That's the least out of any of these quadrants, um, or sections, I should say. And then the the southwestern area, uh, again, where Arizona's at, okay, in the U.S., is uh, having 111 pups be born. So it's interesting. It's a little confusing when you look at it, but it's clear that there are sections of this thing that are ideal for different rats. And we know that, you know, animals of all kinds build hierarchical structure into their society and the status of the mice that were living in the more crowded areas was actually higher. It's not something that we think of so much today, but you can kind of equate it to like how there's more desirable real estate in the U.S., right? Manhattan, San Francisco, stuff like this for the traditional, uh, you know, I don't know, home seeker, real estate investor, whatever. Now, getting back to these four phases, phase A, uh, zero to 100 days of no population increase. It was kind of like a Mad Max scenario. He described it. There was no societal order when he drops these um, four pairs, uh, eight mice all together, four male, four female, and they didn't want anything to do with each other at first. They just kind of run around. They do their own thing. They're not focused on progressing society at all until it seems, you know, they realize that this is their new world and they need to adapt and do their thing. So a boring time in the experiment. But at day 104, uh, they start breeding and they start doing what animals do. Phase A, okay? Now, phase B is the phase of most rapid growth, day 105 to 314. Uh, so within the first year there, they really start doing uh, doing their thing. Phase C, he calls the stagnation phase, day 315 to uh, 559, where population slowed immensely. Uh, the behavioral sink starts to set in. The societal decline starts to set in. And uh, this is when some of the weird behavior starts going on. So that'll be coming up here in a second. And then phase D is this death phase. The population increase abruptly ceased on day 560 uh, after colonization. And a few mice born up until day 600 survived past weaning. So this is when the mice start losing their maternal instincts. Um, the mom and dad don't care about the young. And, and everything just kind of falls apart. So let's get into this paper that he writes. It's truly, truly interesting stuff. And if this is an interesting, uh, you know, idea to you, the experiment of this mice utopia, this is the source, in my opinion. This is, you know, coming from a year, I think just a couple of days after his uh, experiment concludes, he writes this paper. So everything's fresh in his mind. It's published a year later in uh, 73. And that's another thing that's confusing is the dates that people tell you. They talk about his entire mouse uh, utopia, right? They go from like the 50s to the 70s. This took place from 68 to 72 uh, from what I see here. So uh, interesting stuff. But First thing I'm going to do is quote him because he starts this paper off in a really interesting way. He talks about the Bible. He talks about some similarities that we see within the mouse communities and the human communities. And uh, he says, I shall largely speak of mice, but my thoughts are on man. 
on healing, on life and its evolution. Threatening life and evolution are the two deaths, death of the spirit and death of the body. Evolution in terms of ancient wisdom is the acquisition of access to the tree of life. This takes us back to the white first horse of the apocalypse, which with its rider set out to conquer the forces that threaten the spirit with death. Further in Revelation, we note, to him who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, uh, which is in the paradise of God. And further on in Revelations, uh, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of nations. Okay, now I always say it, I'm not educated on the Bible. This is just him quoting it here at the very beginning, opening up his paper saying that, yeah, we're referring to mice here, but you can replace man with mice in, in every single instance here, according to what he's saying. Now, further on, he states the obvious to us, but, you know, to a lot of people out there and to the science community, this isn't really acknowledged, but he states that medicine only works to prevent the second death. Now, the second death being the bodily death, right? What we consider death. It's there to prevent death for as long as possible, but it does nothing to prevent the first death, the spiritual death. And he seems very concerned that modern medical industry is in no way, shape, or form concerned about what you would call today mental health, right? And that's kind of weird coming from the National Institute of Mental Health. It's scary that this guy working in the uh, you know National Institute of Mental Health is concerned about mental health from what he sees here. He actually was saying that by 1984, a few years after these experiments concluded, what's that, 11 years, 12 years, um, that, that man was going to go through the same thing that the mice are here. And they said this was because of, pop, of, of the population. It's not because of the population at all. It wasn't because of the population in this. And so I'm trying to make that very clear here. And he does conclude that at the end. But, uh, you know, spoiler alert. But uh, a lot of shit goes on between here and there. So um, by not focusing on the healing of the spirit that we, you know, just totally neglect spirit spiritual fulfillment and uh you know it's all about a rat race and it's wild it's very very uh shitty that this is the way that things are viewed today um but it's not only the medical industry in my opinion that does this uh he's obviously part of the medical industry and the science industry and whatnot um we see this in culture we see you know cultural leaders not encouraging people to truly fulfill what makes them happy. Uh, they act like they are when like a girl posts a picture of her ass online and then does a Bible verse or, you know, it's just a picture. Clearly it's a, it's a vanity project every time when some attractive person is posting themselves with a beautiful view behind them and then saying some words of inspiration that does the opposite of what they're pretending it does. It makes a lot of people feel insecure and it makes a lot of people feel like shit because A, they don't have that type of body, they don't have those looks, and B, they can't have the they can't fucking travel to these places. It's expensive as shit to travel in these, you know, social media influencers. I don't know how they get their money. It seems like they pull out, you know, lines of credit to go on these trips hoping that it will, you know, gain more traction on their on their social media, but a lot of people don't want to do that kind of shit. So you see that there, you see our relationships with people that are supposed to uh, be much more tight and we're supposed to care about family and young people and all this. That's not going on anymore. We're sexualizing young people today. Uh, not you and me, obviously, but 
you know, these these leaders in different communities, politicians, teachers, and so on, they're sexualizing kids. This is not the proper relationship that you have with young people. And believe it or not, this is actually exemplified here in the uh, experiment. And then also, you know, just our, our entire community has seemed to have fallen. So I'm just listing a couple of examples other than the medical industry that kind of facilitate this fall in the spirit, in the, because um, I, I don't like using the word spirit, but this is the word he uses. Our motivation, our, our what keeps us anchored to this earth, right? There's a big goal for the powers that be to disassociate the public. And by sinking behavior in this way, it makes people disassociate, right? It makes people not care as much about things that are important, like the future of their family and so on. But uh, I want to go back to his his ideas here because he mentioned some different methods of death uh, of the second kind, right? It's like alien encounters, the, the fourth, fifth, you know, fourth, third, second, all that shit. But the, the second kind of death, again, the bodily death, he goes on to say, I saw a pale horse and its rider's name was death. We all know this one, right? And Hades followed him. And they were given power over fourth, a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. And he italicizes these four methods in which the second bodily death there occurs, according to the Bible, according to that statement, okay? Um, he gives an explanation how they affected the mice as their society thrived. It grew, stabilized, and then the society fell. And, and he shows, uh, you know, makes connections here that I wouldn't expect a, a scientist or a doctor of any kind to connect. And remember, everything in this experiment is compared to the way that humans interact in a similar societal situation, okay? You have the sword, which is a method of death. Famine, right? Pestilence and wild beasts. Now, in the mice world, and in, in the animal kingdom as a whole, but again, translating to the human kingdom, the sword, um, he doesn't consider war to be the sword uh, or murder of any kind because this is the animal kingdom. They don't typically kill each other too often. They'll kill other species, right? And sometimes they'll fight and someone dies, but... He considers the sword to be immigration, okay? Now, which is very interesting, thinking about how immigration affects humans. But immigration in this mouse kingdom is death by the sword, and I'll explain later. Uh, number two, famine. You have 2A and 2B here, resource shortage, and then also inclement weather, you know, fire, cataclysms of nature, all that stuff. Three, pestilence, just disease. And four, wild beast, which would be predation here. Uh, you know, animals that eat mice, which are not present. So his first goal to do this, to create a perfect utopian society, again, utopia, a place that does not exist, okay? So this isn't seen in nature. This is seen in these, uh, you know, clinical settings here. He has to first remove all four of those methods of death, okay? Now, what he does to remove the sword and which is the, this one is the one that I find the most interesting um, and really profound. It's obvious, like I said, that most animals of the same species don't just go out and kill each other. Humans are kind of unique to doing that. Um, it happens, sure, but nothing like we see with, with people. 
Dying by the sword from Calhoun's perspective when it comes to this mouse utopia was dying because of relocation or immigration. Now, if a mouse is unable to fulfill his social contract to the rest of the mice, which it sounds funny, but if you can't fulfill your social contract as a mouse, then they lose the right to live in the same location that they were born and they have to relocate. So typically when these mice are born in a certain box in this universe, again, 16 sections divided, four boxes in each, right? Mice tend to stay there until they die. Now, yeah, they'll get out, they'll socialize, they'll run around, they'll look for food, but they go back to sleep in that same nest, comfortably fitting 15 or more mice, okay? Now, if you are an outcast or you do something that just, you know, doesn't sit right with the other mice, you have to relocate, and this would be considered a death because that mice is no longer, or that mouse, I should say, is no longer playing his role in the community. He's gone. He's exiled. He's dead, right? That's dying by the sword. Again, thought that was incredibly interesting because all these other ones are very straightforward, but how do you fit the sword death, the first method there listed in Revelations, right? How do you fit that into a mouse utopia? And then how do you remove it? Well, you can relocate to the center of the box or the center of the universe where, you know, there's no solid home situation, but you're still there. You're still, you're still in this closed in space. Now we would call these relocators betas and they're seen as of not the same quality as the alphas in the group and the people that really just, or I should say the mice that fit their role in the society. Okay. Now, taking it a step further, if the mouse is so submissive to others and renders itself useless, it's fully shunned and just kicked out of the group as a whole. So even if the, the mouse is, uh, you know, the beta mouse is right next to a group of mice that all get along, the, all the mice know that this beta mouse didn't fulfill its social contract. It didn't play its role in the group, and it can be right next to the group. And the group will act like it's not there. And the and the beta mouse knows that it's not seen and knows it's not part of the group. So it is kind of, it's weird. It's like a, uh, I don't know if you ever played the joke on your friends when uh, you pretend that they're ghosts and you can't see or hear them. That's kind of what they're doing here. They're just ghosting it, totally ignoring this thing. Um, so yeah, I, I that's um, it's basically a dead mouse um, once it has been kicked out of the group. Basically, it's as good as dead, right? Um so you see it in the mouse utopia, dying by the sword was getting shunned out of relevance and through self-policing, they're removed from what they would call polite society, not the mice, the scientists, okay? Uh, the mice aren't thinking about what they're doing. It's just a natural instinct. Now you have uh, number two, and I'm doing a lot of reading here, obviously, because I'm going through the document, but number two is famine. You have, again, A and B, the A being resource shortage, just food and water shortages are mostly thought of to be the um, the most important resources for these things. But shelter is obviously uh, a resource and just other environmental resources. Any of these being too low in supply, um, mice or people won't breed and society shrinks. And if it's bad enough, it can completely die off. And he found this to be true. He thought once enough mice died and, you know, they go in and remove them and all this stuff. Once enough mice die, they'll just repopulate. But that wasn't the case. So it, it's, a, it's a permanent death to society when it starts crumbling past a certain point. 
Now, uh, 2B is inclement weather. This is another method of death uh, by the, the second kind here. Every species of animal has developed a genetic adaptation to some particular range of external conditions which affect its uh, physiology. Any conditions of wind, rain, humidity, or temperature which exceed the usual limits of tolerance bring death immediately. Next up, we got three, which is disease. And as Calhoun states, most animals develop resistance to bugs or parasites which can afflict them, but some are always going to crack through the immune system from time to time, and the denser the population, the quicker and more severe disease will spread. So this is the only time that he really mentions population contributing potentially to one of the deaths of the second kind, the bodily death, okay? I know I'm repeating, and some of you probably get it, but I'm sure that there's some people that don't, and this is... I feel one of the most important aspects of this is why he starts his paper out talking about this. This was the first thing he had to do was remove as much of this as possible. Uh, fourth, obviously, there, it's predation. There's no predators in this mouse utopia. Uh, there's no cats around. There's nothing that can get in here and just wreak havoc on this perfect society of mice. It would be very interesting since... I mean, they abuse the fuck out of these mice, but it would be very interesting if they just dropped a cat in at the end and like a few cats and just saw what happened. Uh, if the mice even tried to fight back, because I, I would bet that they wouldn't even try to run, uh, especially the social outcasts there. And I felt like, you know, watching that movie, uh, what is it? Secrets of NIM, N-I-M-H, National Institute of Mental Health. It blew my mind when I saw that. I never saw it as a kid. I watched it recently. There's a lot of symbolism in there, and they show specifically what looks to be one of like Fauci's projects. They reference the beagle puppy. Remember the whole story about abused beagles and infected beagles? They showed all kinds of stuff that just reminded me of things that we'd heard about Fauci. And it's eerie that, and it's not a Disney movie, which I thought it was at first. It's eerie that, this is shown to kids at such a young age. It appeals to kids. You have this character, which is a rat king in in the movie, called Nicodemus. And I looked up who Nicodemus was, and Nicodemus was like this Jewish leader that didn't follow Jesus, uh, chose to not follow Jesus, from what I understood. Now, that's on the nose, uh, calling the rat king in a child's movie the name in the in the Bible that refers to a Jewish leader, a Jewish leader being a rat king. That's that's rough. That's a it's a rough rough uh, look. Because um, when I heard that name, I was like, man, that sounds like it's a demon or something. But it was a freaking supposedly a person in the Bible that that turned its back on Jesus and um, happened to be Jewish, which is always a little rough when you call uh, Jews things like that. Rats, right? I mean, it's fucked. It's it's really a a nasty little comparison there, but I didn't make it, okay? I just did a little research there. Now, uh, th some of the basics of this this little uh, utopia here, before we get into some of the deep shit, um, we have the four pairs of 48-dold Bob C. mice, uh, I'm sorry, Bob C. strain house mice being introduced to the 16-cell the universe on July 9th 1968 okay not 52 like a lot of places will tell you this didn't go on this particular experiment only went on for about four years a uh, little less than four years actually so um his entire mouse experiments with the multiple universes went on before and a little after this but um 
this particular one, only four years, from 68 to 72. So uh, after each mouse had been isolated for 21 days following some weaning, they throw this thing in there on July 9th, okay? Now, there followed a period of 104 days, which I mentioned is phase A, before the first litters were born. And I mentioned there was that uh, time when they first introduced them. There was a time of chaos, right? They were just raging out on each other, not taking to each other at all. But after this happened, after they start, you know, getting along, they mated and a doubling of population happened every 55 days or so. And this uh, progression of numbers was approximately 20, 40, 80, 160, 320, and then 620, not 640, but 620. Um, and then after nearly five doublings every 55 days, he called this period of, uh, of growth the phase B, that, that rapid growing stage of phase B. And then at a population of 620, the rate of population growth abruptly decreases to a doubling time of approximately 145 days. And then periodically through phase B, uh, young born into the universe reach sexual maturity and then bore young as well. So um, it, it's kind of interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, and it makes sense, but it is interesting to, to see it laid out. The quick doubling and then kind of they just instinctively know, hey, we're kind of reaching a threshold here. Let's not uh, just, you know, continue to breed. So this the 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 uh, acknowledging and the knowing that breeding isn't necessary anymore. I feel like it starts the decline in society. Right. Uh, this is when you're not focused on the basics of survival and carrying on the 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 race or the population, you start being concerned about other things, appearance, uh, vanity things, right? So um, he has a great chart here where he shows the pen. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, being divided up into the sections. And then with each section, he shows how many mouse pups are, are inside. Now, this is very clear that some of the apartments, as he called them, were more desirable locations to breed. And it's mostly based off of where the females were comfortable, okay? The uh, most desirable females in this scenario. Now, the males would seek out the females. And then when the females had pups, they pretty much set up shop. And um, unless they were, you know, forced out, as mentioned earlier, and then they remain there until death, okay? Now, there's one quarter of the universe that's hardly used in this entire thing. And I, I mentioned that earlier. So kind of interesting that these, it's almost very symmetrical too. The highest populated boxes were associated with the most dominant males and the most dominant males were the most active males. Not, not just sexually active, but we're talking just moving around, um, you know, being active as a whole. And it's kind of interesting to point out that as activity falls, so does the dominance of the males in that hierarchical order, and it's just completely shattered. It ruins society when, when the top-level males don't want to produce and don't want to be active. That's the, the first domino to fall in a society because then every other you know weaker male follows suit. So... Interesting there, right? You think about, okay, how does this fit in with humans? If if men don't want to go out and work and they don't want to provide, that is the first step in a society crumbling. You can think about it within the black community, right? 
when the government was totally attacking the black male, and they still are, but it's just not as obvious now. But let's just go back to like, you know, the 40s, 50s, 60s, all that. The government had a goal to imprison black as many black men as they could. Now, they knew that these black men had kids, and if the black father is not around to work, what's going to happen to the black kids, right? They're going to perpetuate that same idea where my dad went to jail, I'm going to go out, I'm going to try and make some money, but I'm not fucking equipped to do everything that I'm supposed to do because I wasn't taught by the previous generation. The dad is in jail, right? The kid doesn't have the tools necessary to provide. Then what else, what else happens? The mother tries to go out and provide. Instead of staying with the kid, making sure that the kid is learning basic things, the mother goes out and works, right? So that happens here too, believe it or not, in the, in the mouse kingdom. So it's the same idea. And I think that the, I mean, obviously the government knows about what happens here, seeing that when the male is separated from the family, it just is, like I said, it's the first domino to create a, a social collapse. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's crazy stuff. And I'm really realizing now that uh, I might have been saying 16 sections in this thing if I did my mistake it's 14 sections total not not that it matters much but in each one of these sections you have your own neighborhood if you will maybe your own state however you want to kind of you know make that up in your head 14 different groups in this universe and we have this today we have like community leaders and things like that um in the 14 groups with the total of 150 adults in all 14 groups in each group you have on average 10 individuals okay um the the males the territorial male in each group the leader the alpha associated males and females and then their juvenile and then the sub-adult progeny as he says um that's one community with a clear leader okay now, at the end of phase B, there were 470 of these immature mice that had experienced good maternal care and early socialization, a healthy growing up environment. 470 of the small mice having a good upbringing, right? So they can continue being productive members of their little mouse society. And he points out that that number is far greater than what would have existed had the normal ecological mortality factors uh been been contributing to this whole thing so next beginning at uh day 315 after colonization and continuing for 245 more days the population grew at a much slower rate doubling only every 145 days rather than the 55 uh, as was uh shown in phase b now this is when things start getting weird calhoun's explains uh he, he talks about why the population drops so drastically. And he says this, in a normal course of events, in a natural ecological setting, somewhat more young survive to maturity than are necessary to replace their dying or, um, you know, just the, the weaker established associates, right? Now, this excess that find no social niches, they immigrate, right? That's one of the death methods. However, in my experimental universe, Calhoun here, in my experimental universe, there was no opportunity for immigration. As the unusually large number of young gained adulthood, they had to remain, and they did not contest for roles in the filled societal system. Males who failed withdrew physically and uh, psychologically. They became very inactive 
and aggregated in larger pools near the center of the floor of the universe. So this is the closest thing that they can actually get to immigrating. Those are considered non-existent in the eyes of the ones that are fulfilling the obligations to the mouse society. Um, from this point on, they had no longer initiated interaction with their established associates, nor did their behavior elicit attack by territorial males. They're not even good enough to get attacked anymore, okay? Um, they're just there, uh, unfortunately. And they don't even, they, they really don't even consider them being there. They're just ghosted out of society again. Now, he goes on to say that these males would fight with each other almost almost as if uh, that was the only interaction that they could find, and they craved some sort of fighting. But once they got to this, this point, they couldn't even elicit any kind of attack. And these, these betas, the ones exiled from society, are covered in scar tissue and um, were the least healthy of the bunch. They're not eating properly. They're not drinking properly. They have no reason to take care of themselves because society doesn't give a shit about them at all. They don't have a place. They don't have a, a, a job, right? That's why, you know, a lot of people die shortly after they retire because they feel that they're not contributing and there's no reason for them to be around. People stick around when they have a reason in their own head to stick around. So interesting stuff. And it is, it's also pretty, pretty darn cool that the males who got attacked by more dominant males would usually just stay still. Uh, maybe cool is not the right word, but it's, it's, it's kind of mind blowing that when the betas were getting attacked, they would just stay, they would hang out. They wouldn't try to fight back. They wouldn't try to run. They would stay still and then just let the dominant one attack them. And then later they would go and lash out at even weaker mice, usually young ones. So in a human society, you know, this is what goes on. People that can't function properly, whether it be getting a, a good job, whether it be they got picked on as a kid or whatever, they were abused, they go on to abuse themselves. And you see this here. You see beta mice getting picked on by alphas and then those betas going and just fucking up a little, uh, you know, small mouse, sometimes killing the small mouse, and later, they would even kill him in front of the mothers, and the mothers would just watch. They didn't give a shit. No one cares once a society gets to a certain point. People don't look out for their own. This is why you see people literally getting raped on subways, and an entire subway is just watching, right? Instead of one dude getting up and being like, hey, man, you can't do this, right? Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I'll continue here, but the counterparts of the beta males the, the males that were getting attacked by the alphas would go off and find more desirable males, but the most desirable males desired the females with established, established litters and usually several pups. So it's not the way that we see women today. A lot of dudes that aren't very, uh, you know, evolved or they're just after like ass, right? Uh, they don't want chicks with a bunch of kids, right? traditionally and and genetically and i guess uh historically the woman with the most kids the most healthy kids is the desirable one but that's just not how we see it here probably because our society has already gone through some of these steps uh not all of them by any means but definitely we're we're trending in the wrong direction here so i just find it interesting that you see tough males picking on weaker males and then those weaker males picking on the only ones they can pick on because they have to get that out of their system they have to perpetuate the abuse and just form this dysfunctional society without even really thinking that they're forming a dysfunctional society 
they have to they have to pick on somebody. And who's left to pick on? Well, you can't really pick on the females because there's a lot of tough females out there that'll kick these dudes' ass. So they pick on kids. They target kids. We see that so much in society today as humans. Um, but yeah, as society begins to crumble through the stagnation phase, the population seems to be hitting its limits, according to people that talk about this. Population's hitting its limits and available real estate runs low. It's not true, though. There was still plenty of room before this stuff started happening. But the mice see territory as becoming less defined and alphas lost interest in their territorial tendencies. They lost all reason to fight for their section of the land because it's kind of muddy at this point. It's not as defined. There's no, you know, uh, there's still lines. There's still walls and things keeping them, their territory separate. But when you just constantly see people walking, walking in and out, it gets to a point where you're like, okay, I'm not going to fight these other mice coming into my apartment because it's just happening so often. There's other things I can do, right? Now, um, once once the alphas lose interest in defending their homes and they, they just give up trying to keep all the riffraff out of their areas, who's going to protect that area, right? Who's going to protect the area if the male isn't? You'd think that the, the women would, and they do for a little while. Nursing females will actually get up and fight to protect their area. That leaves the kids alone, and the kids aren't learning proper things uh, as far as you know whatever it is that mice learn. They're not being um, fed enough, right? The the uh, weaning process, you know, it changes, right? They're not getting the proper nutrients. They're not getting taught anything. The mom's out of the house trying to do the dad's job. And um, if you think about it, this kind of stuff started in the human world around uh, World War II, right? A lot of dads are off to war and women have to go and and do the quote unquote man's job working in factories. And the government made this look like a good thing, right? And it is good. It's powerful that women were able to stand up and, and fulfill the role that was left vacant by the men. But if there's no war, none of that shit happens. And we know that all these wars are set up by the government to make this kind of stuff happen. So we see right here, this is kind of like the World War II period, where a lot of other, you know, very interesting things happened in our world. But there's so much going on in this phase as far as the true decline. And there's no going back once you hit this phase. Once the women are 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 doing the men's role and the men are doing some other role that's not even natural, right? Then the kids, the kids, what do they do? They fill the female's role? No, they, they don't fill any role because they don't know that they have a role. So this is when stuff starts getting fucked up. And maternal behavior also becomes very disrupted. Young are often uh, wounded in the delivery process in this phase because there's not enough care into the birth, right? Females transport their young to several sites during which process some were abandoned completely. So you start seeing the moms not even give a shit about their pups because there's so many out there. And that's, of course, a telltale sign of a society going downhill when the young aren't cared about anymore. But the combined effect of these several factors affecting reduced conception, increased fetal mortality, and increased uh, pre-weaning mortality uh, largely accounts for the abrupt decline in the rate of population growth characterized in phase C. 
And he says here that it, for all practical purposes, there had been a death of societal organization by the end of phase C. No one knows their role at the end of phase C, right? And I'm not saying that every single individual has to have a specific job picked out for them, but everyone has a role in society. Every man has a role in society. They have to be the alpha of their family. Um, the woman should be an alpha female, but work in tandem with the man. I don't know when it started becoming a competition. I, again, I think around World War II, where the woman has to try and compete with her husband. Who's going to make more money? Who's going to raise the kid better? Blah, blah, blah. Instead of competing, fill your role. Man and women, fill your role, right? Um, I'm not saying that a woman should be in the kitchen or whatever. Uh, I'm saying that women seem to have a natural gift for raising kids more so than men. Uh, maybe through chemicals and all this weird shit that we've been having kind of introduced to our diet for generations has flipped that a little bit because I know a lot more women that make more money than their male counterpart, right? Their husband, their their uh, boyfriend, whatever. And that's fine, but someone needs to stay and raise the kids, whether it's the man, whether it's the female. Um, man, it, it's it's wild that so many out there feel the need to go out and work. And maybe it is society, too, where we have, you know, everything's so damn expensive and there's this keeping up with the Jones mentality where, you know, we have to have the, the two and a half kids, which I don't know if that average has changed, but two and a half kids, the white picket fence, the two-car garage, all that shit. Man, uh, that stuff's expensive. And if you want to try to uh, raise a good family, maybe that stuff goes out the window. Maybe all the uh, amenities and the luxuries and all that shit kind of get pushed to the wayside in order to raise good kids and, and have a good society, a healthy society. Um, but the article goes on later uh, and mentions that by midway in phase C, essentially all young were prematurely rejected by their mothers and they started independent life without having developed adequate, effective bonds. So they don't feel the love from their moms. They don't have the interaction. They go on to be pieces of shit. Let's just say it. Call it like it is. Now, since they weren't taught by their mothers how to act, they were part of this violent system. They would get picked on by the betas, the male or the uh, females or the males weren't around to protect the babies. So, I mean, it, it gets fucked up real quick here. And, uh, well, guys, the rest of that episode is over there at patreon.com slash dangerous world podcast. I get into the rest of face C and D and then uh, talk about the conclusion and actually read uh, directly from the paper on his conclusion because he really proves that his concern at the end of this experiment was not about population. It's about a much deeper societal issue. So check it out. Tell your friends about the show. And thanks so much for your support, guys. Have a good winter holiday.